Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. That's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. In our first segment, my guest is genealogy author and publisher, David Frixell. I'm going to be talking to him about locating valuable family resources and the importance of being tenacious in your research. The family name in America was Lundeen, L-U-N-D-E-N. And after a while, my aunt uh, finally said, well, you know, didn't I tell you that back in Sweden, the family name was Ingelson? So oh. I was like, oh, okay, you know, why <laughs> did I ask that question um, earlier? So I learned not to make assumptions. Once I knew where she was from, I was able to go and get the microfilm of the parish records from the little parish of Hotbud. And there she was, there, her family, her brothers, wow. and suddenly I was able to trace um, her family back um, for several more generations. It, often it's those little things that can then unlock you know, the, the biggest mystery. Um, and once you make that one step, particularly when you're making the, the jump to overseas to a foreign country, yeah. if you get that one key to unlock it, then you can unlock often many generations worth of family information. Then in our second segment, we're going to help you along on your own genealogy journey by talking about the importance of scouring your home for family clues and creative and effective ways to get the word out to your relatives so that family history information just finds you. David Frixell is a contributing editor and columnist for Family Tree Magazine, the nation's most popular genealogy publication, which he founded. He's also the editor and publisher of Desert Exposure, a regional monthly publication based in Silver City, New Mexico. David always has great ideas and stories about tracking down family clues, and I asked him to come on to the show and share those with us. Here's my conversation with him. Well, David, once we've talked to our relatives and scoured our homes for family records, it's kind of time to venture out and talk to distant cousins and other researchers who might have information on our family. But for those just starting out, I think the idea of calling up folks that we don't know very well can kind of seem a little daunting. But I know that you have a story to tell about the kinds of wonderful things that can come our way if we just ask and we're persistent. Why don't you tell us your story? Well, thanks. Yeah, actually, my story kind of starts with a uh, phone call that I didn't make in time. Um, I had an aunt who I was fairly close to, but she lived in the uh, Portland, Oregon area. And I'd been planning to visit her because there was a genealogy conference there. So I thought, well, that would be perfect. I'll go to the genealogy conference. I'll find some time. I'll go visit my aunt. She was really the last one left on my dad's side of the family, so I wanted to pick her brain, you know, about all things genealogical. So I waited until, you know, that trip, and unfortunately, in the meantime, uh, my aunt passed away rather suddenly. Aww. And so 
suddenly, you know, all the, besides the personal sadness, you know, there was the opportunity missed, I felt. And so I started asking my, my cousin, her daughter, if she knew anything, and she really didn't, but she did say that there was another distant cousin, I guess a second cousin, who lived uh, actually more down our way in Arizona, and who she thought that her mom had been, you know, corresponding with or something that I should give her a try. So I got that connection, and between emailing and phone, started contacting uh, this cousin, Pat. I would ask Pat, you know, various kinds of uh, the usual sort of questions. And fortunately, she was pretty knowledgeable about that whole branch of the family. And I found, you know, sometimes you just can't make assumptions. I, the one thing that I had been able to ask my aunt when she was still alive, I'd gone on and on asking her questions and really been stumped. And the family name in America was Lundine, L-U-N-D-E-N. And after a while, my aunt finally said, well, you know, didn't I tell you that back in Sweden, the family name was Ingelson? So oh. I was like, oh, okay, you know, why <laughs> didn't I ask that question um, earlier? So I learned not to make assumptions from that. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to this, this distant cousin, Pat, I kept sort of probing uh, along that same uh, line of the family, the Lundines, and trying to um, find out about Oscar Lundine, who was the relative who had come across and made the, the big trip to America. So I kept you know, pestering her and asking her questions. I think after a while, Pat got kind of tired of hearing from me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, because I kept asking her all these family history type questions instead of, you know, more normal sort of conversation. And so finally, Pat said, well, you know, maybe it would be simpler if I just sent you the family Bible. Oh, my gosh. And I had sort of a long pause on the phone because I had no idea, A, that there was a family Bible, or B, that she had it. And I said, finally, when I recovered, well, sure, yeah, that would probably be simpler. And so one day, not too long thereafter, a big box shows up at our house. And inside is this ornate, several-pound Bible with this sort of crafted, uh, sculpted cover on it, all in uh, Swedish with this sort of ornate, you know, gothic script. Oh, wow. And this was the Bible that my, however many great-grandfather, great-grandfather Oscar Lundin had carried with him. And you have to think, when they're coming from Sweden to America, they probably didn't have a lot of luggage room, you know. Oh, no, you could only pick a couple of things, whatever you could carry. One of the things that he happened, you know, to bring across the ocean with him. Wow. So it was very special on that. Now, with family Bibles, they vary a lot in terms of how much genealogical information you might find in it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in this case, it was mostly a really big, fat Swedish Bible. I mean, there was, it was not that much genealogy information in it, but there were a couple of pages where if you've seen family Bibles, it's very much the same in, I think, every country. You know, there are places to enter the names of the children and, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and David, back back then, weren't some of those even considered to be official documents? Exactly. Yeah. In various places, they've been used as, you know, proof of various things, uh, pensions and, you know, even that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to join the Doris of the American Revolution, that, you know, sometimes you'll send in copies of family Bible pages. So, But in this case, there were maybe three or four pages of, 
genealogical information among the, I don't know, thousand pages in the uh, Old Family Bible. And if you've ever tried to read European script of that time, it's very hard to read. Yes. The deciphering of it could be a real challenge. Well, and this was in Swedish, wasn't it? And it, Exactly. <laughs> I had to learn a few basic words like, you know, what's the word for born and died and things like that. And I could make out people's names and... I found out the name, uh, I found Oscar Lundin, my direct ancestor, and his wife, whose name I could see was Maria Ekstrom, E-X-E-K-S-T-R-O-M. So that was new information to me that I, you know, hadn't had. Now, in Swedish research and any of the Scandinavian countries, uh, they have wonderful church records. And those are all on microfilm, and a lot of them now are on the Internet. Right. But if you're going to use those, you have to know what parish your ancestor came from. And without that, it's almost impossible. It so, can be like a needle in the haystack, exactly. right? Exactly. So to find out where Maria was from was really the key. And the more I looked at it, I, I looked like uh, there was a word by her name that maybe that was where the family was from. And again, trying to make out this old-fashioned script, Frankly, it looked like she was from Harvard, um, and I figured that probably was not the case, you know, but I squinted at it. And finally, uh, I found a Swedish gazetteer online that I could search, and it lets you use various wild cards. You could, like, put an asterisk in for characters you weren't sure of. Right. And so I searched for all variations that could be sort of like Harvard, and finally found Hackvad, H-A-C-K-V-A-D. And it was indeed a place in Sweden. Once I knew where she was from, I was able to go and get the microfilm of the parish records from the little parish of Hockford. And there she was, there, her family, her brothers. Wow. And suddenly I was able to trace um, her family back for several more generations, all because my distant cousin Pat said, well, maybe I should just send you the family Bible. Well, she didn't send you just a Bible. She sent you a key, didn't she? Absolutely. It, often it's those little things that can then unlock the biggest mystery. And once you make that one step, particularly when you're making the, the jump to overseas to a foreign country, yeah. if you get that one key to unlock it, then you can unlock often many generations worth of family information. That's amazing. You know, I think such an important moral to this story is to be tenacious. I mean, your tenacity, that not taking no for an answer, (laughs) repeating the questions. Um, I know in a previous episode I was talking about, you know, when someone says, oh, no, 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 I don't remember that. Just ignore it and, right. and keep going. You know, ask it in a different way because it's you'll find something that will jog a clue. Exactly. Then tracing the family as they came to America, I had to be tenacious again because Maria had seemingly disappeared and later found that she had remarried in a Belgian family, which who would have expected that? Right. Uh, I found... This family that the kids' names all matched, the ages all matched, but the last name was wrong in the 1880 census. And again, I kept sort of pushing and pushing and pushing and was able to find obituaries and things that later made me think, no, this is actually, you know, this person in this, you know, in this family. 
and you know figure out who, sh- who they really were because they were hiding in effect. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole family line that's been hiding from me off and on. But through if you're persistent, you can often puzzle those things out. That's terrific! Wow. So, from this experience, what would you tell uh, the new? family historian who's listening to the show, um, what, what are some of the key tips that you would recommend based on your experience? Well, I'd say first to ask those relatives and not to wait and to be persistent in your asking. You know, they, the dusty documents in the library will always be there, but those relatives of yours always, you know, will not always be there. So mm-hmm. um, ask them questions um, as soon as you possibly can. Call them, write them, email, email them. And, you know, try and find out what they know. And remember to ask them if they have any documents, any old letters, or maybe even, you know, a family Bible. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. And then once you do get your hands on some information, to not underestimate the importance of place. Mm-hmm. You know, we always in genealogy worried about names and dates. But really the documents and the, the life stories happen in places. And if you can find out those, where those places are and trace your ancestors back that one more step to that place before, that's where you'll find the whole next you know, bunch of answers. By finding that one place name and figuring out what it was, I was able to unlock you know, the whole family, that whole branch of the family back in Sweden. Because you needed to know that place so that you could because what you would be looking for then would be church records correct right. so and they're going to be all contained in one place so it really was like a opening a floodgate and that's true i happen to have swedish ancestors but that's true really throughout scandinavia as well as in all sorts of other countries in germany I, for example in mexico again church records are very important yeah and if you're trying to trace hispanic ancestors in mexico the number one thing you need to figure out is where are the records? What's the parish name? So it's really all about place. Mm-hmm. And I think the other wonderful, inspiring note of your story is that even though you may not have a family heirloom, it doesn't mean they don't exist, does it? Exactly. It's very surprising. Now, of course, when I did go to that genealogy conference, and even though my aunt was no longer around, I was able to visit my cousin out there, and surprise, surprise, discovered, in fact, that she had a lot of the uh, grandfather Frixell's family heirlooms. I oh, had no wow. idea that she had them. Not exactly how she wound up with them all, but <laughs> she had a whole bunch of things. So they are out there often, and you know, all kinds of documents and you know letters and things like that that you just never know. But if you're persistent, I would never would have guessed that the Oscar Lundin family Bible that he you know, carried across the Atlantic and uh, took all the way to Moline, Illinois, would ever have, you know, wound up in Arizona. Now it's, you know, safely in our house in New Mexico. Oh, that's wonderful. David, you are such an inspiring uh, storyteller. I'm so glad that you came to the show and shared your story. And, um, of course, we can all read articles that you write in the Family Tree magazine. But thank you so much for coming. I hope that you'll come back and visit with us again. Thanks so much. We're back, and I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook, and this is the place in the show where we give you the tools to successfully research your family history. 
Now, this week we're going to talk about scouring your home for family information and getting the word out to other family members that you're on the hunt for family history. You know, Dorothy said it best in the movie The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. That is really true when it comes to family history research. Sometimes the keys to unlock your family tree are right there under your nose. And that leads us to our next step in the research process, scouring your home and the homes of your close relatives, if they allow you to, for more information. Now, what kinds of things are we looking for? Well, we're looking for birth, marriage, and death certificates, funeral programs and obituaries, uh, wedding invitations, newspaper clippings, military records, and, like in the case of David Frixell, a family Bible. Long before births, marriages, and deaths were recorded with the state, families recorded them in their family Bible, and this was considered a legal document, so they are fairly common. Now, once you've combed through your house, check with your parents and see what they might have stored. Tucked away in shoeboxes and desk drawers and attic rafters can often be some terrific clues that you could use for your family research. Now, here's an example of some items that you might not have thought of, but that could have great genealogical value. After my grandmother passed away, I inherited all of her household belongings. Now, over the years, Grandma and I had talked about family history many times, and she'd given me her some family photos, um, she'd helped me fill in the gaps on my charts, and she'd even given me her wedding cedar chest. But it wasn't until I got the boxes home and started going through her papers that I realized there was some great information there that she'd never mentioned. She may not have thought it was important, or I might just not have asked the right questions. But regardless, there were items that at first glance I kind of thought had no value. But after closer inspection, I realized that they were a gold mine of information. Here's an example. Grandmother loved to shop. And she had great taste in clothing and household items. Well, in one of the shoeboxes, I found what was probably every receipt for everything she'd ever bought in her entire life. I mean, great, I thought, a, a box of receipts. Well, as I went through them, I realized that nearly every receipt had her address written on it. And these receipts dated all the way back to the 1930s. So I put on my forensic genealogy hat and put every receipt there in front of me in chronological order. And then I realized I had in front of me a detailed accounting of every place that she'd ever lived for nearly 60 years. Now, why was this important? Because along the way, there were moves to different homes, particularly in the 1940s when she and grandpa went to work for the shipyards during World War II. And when in later years they separated and they eventually divorced, I could follow where she moved to along the way. So what can locations like this tell us? Well, they can help us find our ancestor in city and telephone directories, census records. They can help us track down old neighbors and the homes that they once lived in. Well, it turned out that my grandparents had actually built their home near the Richmond shipyards during World War II all by themselves. Now, that's a house that I want a photo of, and now I had the address. Another source I found uh, amongst her belongings was an old metal flip-up telephone directory. Remember those? You'd kind of push the button, and they'd flip right up. Well, 
Over all those decades, Grandma had recorded the names, addresses, and phone numbers of all her family and friends. What surprised me was that she kept in touch with a lot of distant relatives back in Oklahoma, and they were all recorded right there in the directory. So a name that I had found on the back of an old photo could now be matched to a name found in her directory. So the moral of the story here is to keep a really open mind as you're looking through your family's homes. While something may not seem relative today, it may answer a burning question down the road. And many times I've turned back to those old receipts and been thankful that I didn't toss them. Now, hopefully, all of this searching will bring some goodies to the surface. But don't just stop at your door. You need to get the word out to as many family members as you can that you're researching the family tree. All of your relatives are potential sources for pieces of the family puzzle. So here are my top three tips for tapping into the family history resources of your relatives. Number one advertise. Now, I'm recording this episode right before Thanksgiving, which means Christmas and Hanukkah are right around the corner. Well, this is the perfect time of year to get the word out and advertise that you're working on family history. While you can't be at everybody's house for the holidays, you can mail everyone a Christmas card, and that is the perfect communication vehicle for letting the relatives know that you are working on the family tree. You want to build the reputation in your family as the family historian. You want to be the first person that they think of when they are staring at an old box of photos or family papers wondering if they should just toss it. You don't want them to toss it. You want them to send it to you. I'm amazed how powerful getting the word out is. Nowadays, family history just kind of seems to find me. Not only do relatives know that I'm interested, but they know that I really care about the family history and that if they send me what they have, it will be cared for and appreciated. And that feels a lot better to them than the guilt of tossing grandma's newspaper clippings in the garbage after all the hard work she had put into just cutting them out. So as you're writing or emailing your holiday greetings this year, be sure and let folks know that you're working on the family tree, and maybe tell them a little tidbit or two about your recent findings. Then let them know that if they have stories or information to share, that you would welcome that. By letting them know that you're interested, each time you communicate with them, I guarantee you that your reputation will flourish and interesting things will start to come your way. Tip number two, go viral. In addition to the occasional holiday card, consider setting up a family history website or blog, or join a web-based family networking and sharing site like genie.com or genetree.com. These sites are free, and they allow you to upload your family tree, your photos, and your stories, and then you can invite your family to join so that they can stay in touch and share their information. It sort of makes it go viral, if you will. It just starts spreading out there, and one relative tells another relative. That's the idea. And if you set it up, again, it's going to establish you as sort of the go-to person for your family's research. For links to these websites that I've mentioned, go to personallifemedia.com and click the family history icon and then select episode number five. And that'll take you to the page with the links 
and an abbreviated transcript of the show. And tip number three, share the wealth. Don't just be a collector of your family's resources, but share them. Post photographs that you receive from relatives on your family sharing site or print them in your Christmas newsletter. And give credit to the person who sent it to you. People love to see their name in print. Maybe add a little background information that you've discovered about the person that goes beyond what they sent you. By sharing and caring for the treasures that come your way, you're going to gain credibility and trust with potential contributors down the road. You know, a couple of years ago, I decided to take this concept to the next level. While I don't have the time right now to write and publish a comprehensive family history, there are some wonderful stories that I wanted to start sharing. So I decided to publish a short coffee table type book about my grandmother's nursing career and give it to my relatives for Christmas. I used Kodak Gallery Online, but there are other online publishers as well. And again, I'll have links for several um, on the webpage for this episode. I created a hardcover book with 40 glossy pages that were color and filled it in with photos and my grandmother's journal entries. And I kind of spiced it up with some additional information that I'd found about the time and the places that she talked about. The result was a book that could be read and enjoyed in one sitting. And that's an important part for the non-genealogists is they want to be able to read it in one sitting. And it was something that my relatives could enjoy. It helped them visualize how all the stuff that I'm collecting can come together to tell wonderful stories about the ancestors that we all share. I got several teary-eyed thank yous from folks, and now they all keep an eagle eye out for anything that might help me with my research. Since then, I've published a book on my husband's father's naval career and his grandfather's immigration to America from England. So if down the road you're interested in creating a book like this, check out my episode number 13 of my other genealogy podcast called The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which you can find at genealogygems.tv. And you can subscribe to it for free in iTunes. There you'll be able to listen as I walk through the process of creating your book step by step as well as give you my top six tips for making your book fascinating to your reader. Because I tell you, if it's not fascinating, your relatives are not going to read it. And I have a video version of my book about my grandmother's nursing career. It's called A Nurse in Training, and it's a two-part video series available at my Genealogy Gems channel in YouTube. So just go to youtube.com and type a nurse in training in the search box and the two videos should come up or you can use the link that I'll have for you on the page for the show. And of course, video is another great way to share what you found, but that's a topic for a whole nother episode. (laughs) So your tasks this week are to search your house for family information and start getting the word out to your relatives that you're working on your family tree. And your first task with that is to include something about it in your holiday greeting cards. I guarantee if you put the word out, you're going to have a lot of great things coming your way in the future. Well, 
that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.